Thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday edition. Uh, this is a special treat. Uh, if, you, if you heard uh, Libby Collins' Sunday Conversations, Libby Collins, the host of Weekend Morning News here on WTMJ. Uh, you heard Scott Klug join Libby uh, on a Conversations program. He is a f- American lobbyist. He's an author, businessman, former congressman. I think it was 91 to 99-ish, somewhere around there. Perfect. Good job. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thanks. My pleasure. Uh, as they always say, longtime fan, first-time caller. So. I, and I love that as well. So I wanted to bring you in because I heard Libby's conversations, most of it, and, and I wanted to get a sense of your take on American politics. And I know you have a lot of opinions about it. So I'm going to go very general. We'll get to some specifics, obviously, but very general. As a former Republican congressman from Wisconsin, you see what I see. You see the Far left and far right getting all the attention when there's so many people in the middle. That frustrates the heck out of me. What do you think? Well, this all started actually with people grabbing me during the first Kevin McCarthy fiasco. I mean, I got grabbed at a movie theater in Madison and the cereal aisle of a grocery store standing in a coffee shop one day with people basically saying, look, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. What's going on? You know, I the Republicans are running around the country ripping middle school books off of shelves, and the Democrats are trying to take the stove out of my kitchen. I didn't sign up for this. So the Brookings Institute, which is sort of a slightly left think tank in D.C., did a survey about uh, eight, nine months ago that said, look, given the choice, would you rather have a Democratic Party to the left of the Democrats, to the right of the Republicans, leave it as it is, or split the middle? And the answer is 44% said split the middle. That's 71 million bewildered voters, and mark me down as one of them. I mean, I it's sort of jaw-dropping to figure out where we are today. And I, I always use the term frustrating because it's frustrating to me as someone who identifies as a Republican but can't support Donald Trump and all the nonsense that's associated with that. And I talk to so many people on the show, away from the show, in those grocery store conversations or restaurant conversations who say, what is the alternative here? And I guess for me it's how do we figure this mess out because I am sick and tired of, of hearing from the extremes, and you're right, part of it's the media. We, we tell those stories. I do some of that, that it's something that we, we, um, we are part of that equation. But how do we break that up, and how do we change that narrative? I think it's hard to break it on a, on a massive layer, right? I don't know that it shatters. I think you could see some trends around the country that I think are pretty fascinating people haven't paying attention to. Independents are now the single largest registered voting bloc in Nevada and New Hampshire. And there's something afoot. 50% of the public now says they consider seriously voting for a third-party candidate. Uh, you know, we tell a great story about a woman in Logan, Utah, named Tammy Pfeiffer. She's got five kids. This is going to sound like your listeners who stop you in the store. And, and in birth order, she's got a Republican, an Independent, a Democrat, a Democratic Socialist, and a Libertarian. Wow. <laughs> and she said, well, she, her position is, I must be doing something right because they all found their space. Right. Until three Thanksgivings ago. One of them's a school teacher. Up comes the masks. Up comes the lockouts. They storm out of Thanksgiving dinner. They didn't have Thanksgiving two years ago at all. Um, and it breaks her heart. And t- here's her profile. We sort of think America needs a big time out, and she's the mom to do it. She was a city council person. The kids love to put signs up on yards for people. She served as the education secretary for the Utah governor, uh, was a special ed teacher for years, actually sang in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir with her and her husband. They said, this is insane. we got to figure out a way, some way to bring civility back to the, to the table. So she works with social scientists at Utah State, focus groups, students. They figure out a way to develop a civility index for politics. They post it online in Facebook. 
36 <laughs> hours later, it came down because everybody said it's a Republican plot. No, it's a Democratic plot. You're trying to screw us. No, you're trying to screw them. But I, there's a lot of people doing great little stories like that that we – the reason I'm in with you today, Steve, is we started a podcast called Lost in the Middle, www.lostmiddle.com. And that sort of stuff is happening, I think, a lot on the ground levels. And what really frustrates me is all of the national media is focused on Washington, D.C. And it's why they were so surprised by the Trump win, right? It was like when Trump won, they sent reporters out from the Times to the Washington Post, which I think read like what must have happened in the 19th century when the Times of London sent a reporter to find Dr. Livingston in the middle of Africa. It's like, what is this? How could this have happened in the country? (laughs) It's not people like us. If you look at a great story that was done in political, so I'm rambling here, but there was a story in political after the 16 election looking at the national news media. And in a space between Boston, New York, and Washington, L.A. and San Francisco, where a lot of the Internet stuff is based today, if you looked at those reporters and talked about a media bubble, it's not just a media bubble in terms of attitude because – Nate Silver discovered that only 14% of reporters self-describe as Republicans, and I was one of them when I was a journalist, and we can talk about why that is. But they actually lived in districts that Hillary Clinton not only won, but won by 35%. So there's a disconnect, I think, between the coasts and the rest of the country, and I think the rest of the country in particular is frustrated by this. Well, I mean, former Governor Scott Walker often said that Wisconsin, the Midwest, could lead the country in ideas. And one of the terms he loved to use was forward you know, forward thinking and and forward Wisconsin. If that's the case, why do we pay so much attention to the two coasts? And why why is the Midwest not leading the way in some of these conversations? Because uh, I think it's the natural bias, right? I mean, so I lived in Washington as a reporter for years, came back to Wisconsin, got elected to Congress, and Tess and the boys stayed in Madison when I was still in office. Um, I think it's just an attitude. It's I I, had a, I went to the Packers Steeler game this weekend, and the woman who drove me in. Uh, on Uber said, well, I grew up in Brooklyn. How do you like Pittsburgh? I don't like Pittsburgh. I only want to live in Brooklyn. Why are you in Brooklyn? <laughs> God, my marriage broke up and I decided to start over again. It's just a bubble that they can't get out of. And, and it's, it's frustrating everybody in the country. And I don't think they can see it because they all run in the same social circles. Former Congressman Scott Klug, now a lobbyist, um, joining us in our Avenue studios here at WTMJ. Let's talk about elections and election integrity. Much was made about the 2020 election, still going on. We see, you know, lawsuits still ongoing. We have the Gable investigation. I am always confounded by the willingness of some Wisconsin voters, American voters, to still believe that somehow the election was stolen. You lived in that world. You've seen and heard all of the stories, seen the court cases, seen the investigations, super secret forensic audits, all of that stuff. My pillow guy, Mike Lindell, all Donald Trump. As a former congressman, what do you take away from this experience now three-plus years? And have we learned anything from what happened in 2020? I, I don't think we've learned anything about what happened. And, you know, kudos to the guys in Georgia who sort of told the story the truth. By that, I mean, you know, both the governor of Georgia and the attorney Re- general and the secretary of state. Republicans, absolutely. Look, th- think about when you vote in Oak Creek. I grew up in Wauwatosa and West Dallas. I now live in Monona, Wisconsin. Who's Who's running the polls? It's little old ladies who are 74 degrees and they all come to the election spot with bread they made the night before and their homemade jam that somebody gave them in Door County. I don't think that's a great conspiracy anywhere. And people say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to talk about Philadelphia. You got to talk, you know, pick a big city. It, 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 it's not, I, I, I think it's a mystery why this is bought in. 
I think it's part of the larger narrative. I mean, you and I were talking about this before. I'm an old school journalism guy. I remember my, I used to have a professor who looked like, who's the guy who was in uh, Whiplash? Uh, Rowling, J.K. Simmons? J.K. Yes, Simmons. Yes, yes. He was in Spider-Man yeah. and a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. That was my journalism professor at Northwestern. Add 30 pounds. Wow. He wasn't literally a guy like, looked just like him. 30 pounds, completely bald. And he used to, he'd ask you questions. And the first thing I remember, the first day we were in class, and he looked at a classmate of mine in Silverstein. What do you say if your mother says she loves you? But, and Stu's like looking around the room, I have no idea. And he rubs his head over his like sweating bald head and said, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. <laughs> well, I'm an old school facts guy, you know, and a lot of this is just, it's fantasy and it's frightening for the democracy. And I, I go back to the line that Baldwin said, you've, you've got to be a sophisticated consumer of news, right? Turn off Fox, turn off MSNBC and sort of come back to reality and not the alternative realities. And it frustrates me as a reporter. It frustrates me as a former elected official. And it frustrates me as a former journalist. Scott Kluge joining us in studio here on the Avenue on beautiful Wisconsin Avenue in downtown Milwaukee. Lots more to get to the politics and the culture, political culture in America in the next 35 minutes. We'll explore all of that and more. Join us, 855-616-1620. If you have a question, shoot it to the text line. Love to uh, weave some of those in as well. More after this on WTMJ Now. We are joined in studio by former congressman of Wisconsin, Scott Kluge, joining us. All right, so we've got to talk about the, the biggest elephant in the room, and that's Donald Trump. And he is somebody who has, I think, changed American politics. It's, it's not the first time this has happened. We've had bombastic figures before. We've had chaos in American elections. We've had all this stuff going back in our 200-plus years of history. But I wanted to get your your thoughts on somebody as a Republican. We're both Republicans here. I I couldn't vote for him. Your thoughts on Donald Trump and his presence in this upcoming race? Well, look, I you know cards on the table, and I've said this to anybody asked. So I'm not a fan. Didn't vote for him in 16. Didn't vote for him in 20. Um, and I think we need to sort of step away from this and return to reality. He's uh, bad for politics. He's bad for civic virtues. Um, and, uh, you know, given some of the quotes of the last few days about who's going to lock up and who's going to prosecute and everything else, it's really, really, really pretty frightening. And I wish the party would step away and, and move in another direction. And you could still find lots of very true-hearted conservatives out there if you're looking for them, if you can even make the case that Trump's a conservative. I mean, he's all over the political map. It's what ever's in his mind in the last 15 minutes. So I, I keep... would argue he's not a conservative. He's, he's, a, he's a pretender who seize this opportunity in 2016 running against a very unpopular democratic candidate i know people say the text she got a lot of votes i get that but she was very unpopular especially with uh, republicans and some democrats so that's one of the reasons he won that race in 2016 but here we are all these years later we're, we're having the same conversation about donald trump but now he's donald trump unleashed with all of the nonsense he's, he threatened judges again this morning Citizens arrest, lock them up. You use that term. A lot of people use that term. Is any conservative Republican that you know of brave enough to say, you know what, we're not doing this? Because that's my complaint. Not enough people are saying that. Well, I think there are. I think you, again, I think you have to look around the country. I mean, you look at Larry Hogan, I think, who was at the time the third most popular governor in the country, uh, a Republican in Maryland, which is a tough place to win. Um, and he's been very vocal about it. Um, if you look, for example, at, you know, Sununu, whose dad worked in Bush one White House, I mean, he's been very outspoken. 
Um, and I do think you see leaders around the country raising questions and pushing back on it. The question gets to be if there's a critical mass. And that raises the whole question about independent runs for president. Does it help Biden? Does it help Trump? You know, who runs? Do they have a chance? You know, the history, if you look back, you know, three big ones in the United States history, Teddy Roosevelt, um, uh, uh, George Wallace, and Ross Perot. And you really need to sort of have three elements behind you. You have to have somebody who's charismatic. You have to have somebody who has a good organization. The third thing you need is somebody who's got sort of the wind behind their back. You know, do any of those current candidates have it? Can a bipartisan ticket that no labels talks about really get traction? The history of independent candidates is they rise early. Kennedy's, what, in the 20s right now? Yeah, 22%. Yeah, and Perot at the peak, I think, was almost close to 30. Yes. And then sort of fell off. Self-destructed. Well, plus you also get beat up with the line, it's a wasted vote. And fo- right. Folks get in there and say, I'd like to do it. But, uh, but again, as we were talking earlier, Steve, I mean, I think if you look in the country, 50% of the people say, look, consider an independent candidate. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen on the presidential level. It'd be interesting if there are more independent candidates as senators or governors this time out, because I think people are just ready to get stuff done. But look, here's the classic tale. If you look years ago, George w., George H. Bush, where was his political base? New England, boom, Kenny Bunkport would win it handily. You know, then the Democrats control the South. Now, if you look, the Republicans own the South, the Democrats own New England. But if you look at the most popular governor in the U.S., who now is left is Charlie Baker, former governor of Massachusetts, Democrat, excuse me, Republican, centrist Republican governor. He refused to put, uh, Donald Trump's picture up in the governor's office and the Massachusetts Republican party refused to put Charlie Baker's picture up in the state Republican party. So that'll tell you how badly fractured the Republicans are in the country. But I just think at some point this fever will break. I hope. Do you think the, the rise of a viable third party, at least in presidential elections, requires a Donald Trump to make that happen? Somebody said it to me last week. I said, I don't know. Maybe. You mean that they need people to have somebody to run against that they're so... No, they, or, they have to be so angry about the current state of Republican politics or, or the candidate they have no. to choose in Joe Biden that that RFK Jr., for example, that is somebody who could actually, actually be a serious challenger in November to win the election. Does it require a Donald Trump character to make that reality happen no i think it could be somebody if it's the right personality and the and the right uh, sort of the right um zeitgeist that gets behind them if you look uh as we just talked about people often have this early spike and then it fades now you could have i mean you could have a really jam primary this time and so you could have cornell west running on the left you've got kennedy who's running from outer space or jill whatever stein. it is jill stein uh you could have the bipartisan uh no labels, no labels yeah, thing yeah. So there's lots of opportunities how to, how to do it. The question gets to be, do third-party candidates cost presidential elections? So the Democrats will point and say, look, if not for Ralph Nader, Al Gore would have won Florida and he would have been president. I would say, says the Republican, if he could have won his home state of Tennessee, he would have been <laughs> president. Yeah. yeah. But so he, he points the finger at Ralph Nader. What people don't realize is every year there's this scattergram of all these independent parties you've never heard of, the conservative party, the libertarians, this, that. And if you look, there were seven other parties in Florida who got more votes than Ralph, that got as many votes as Ralph Nader did that would have cost him the election. So, but again, I go back to my fundamental point. I think, Trump is starting to unsettle politics in the U.S. I don't know where we are at this moment, but I think it's going to be a much different political fight if Trump wins again five years from now where it goes. Well, I just think it'll be, 
it'll be young voters in particular are fiercely independent and they hate political parties. And Lord knows we've given them enough reason to hate both both parties. Before we go to break, we're talking to Scott Klug, former Wisconsin congressman, Republican, uh, about the state of politics in America 2023 and probably more importantly 2024. Any of the candidates vying for the nomination against Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has a massive secretariat-type lead in this race, Nikki Haley, Christie, uh, Ron DeSantis, anybody, any of these folks have a chance? I think it comes down to Iowa. Somebody has to overperform. And so I'm going to make these numbers up. You know, Trump could win 51%, but Nikki Haley ends up getting 39%. And then DeSantis and Christie fall. I'm not sure Christie will even make it to the next debate, to be honest, now that Tim Scott's out and, and whatever the sort of crazy. Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, the yes. crazy, the crazy guy. Yes. So then if that happens, then the next vote's New Hampshire, right? And Sununu is not a Trump guy. He'll make sure whoever it is has momentum. And then the third state that comes up in South Carolina. So if somebody can win Iowa, get close in New Hampshire, get close in New, get close in South Carolina, then I think it's a game. If Trump wins all three of those, especially wins the first two, it's all over. The first scenario is actually what happened to Joe Biden. He didn't do well early in the primaries, and then South Carolina happened, changed his trajectory. He became president. Interesting times in America. All right, we got we got about uh, twenty plus minutes to go. I haven't even gotten to the leadership question: Who's the right leader? Joe Biden, Ukraine, Israel, all of those stories uh, as they matter in American politics. And what you think, this, we'll save this for the end, the biggest issue in the next election, outside of the characters and the uh, the people running, what's the biggest issue in an election? Scott Klug, former congressman from Wisconsin, joining us on WTMJ Now. Enjoying the conversation on this Tuesday edition of WTMJ Now. Thanks for tuning in, however you find us. Uh, lots of texts on the old National Bank talking text on 855-616-1620. Uh, a lot of people love our guest, former Congressman Scott Klug. So thanks to you folks for weighing in and listening to the conversation. Let's talk about leadership. I'm a big fan of people that get things done. I'm not a big fan of people who talk about get thing, getting things done or send press releases every day from their offices, whether that's in Congress, whether that's in the state office, wherever. Leaders that you look at as a Republican, I assume you're still a Republican. Right? I am, yes. As am I. Leaders that you look at in this country, you mentioned a few names before, Sununu was one. Other people that you look at and say, hmm, slightly younger than what we're seeing now with the principal candidates, they may be something, someone that I look at in the future and say, that's a guy or a woman that I could support. Are those there's some names out there that you think about? Well, I'll tell you one closer to home. I'm a big Mike Gallagher fan. As am I. As is the Republican congressman from Green Bay. Great expertise on national security issues, a Marine, a Ph.D. in foreign policy uh, from Princeton, I think, um, level-headed guy. His family's in Green Bay. I used to go back and forth to, to Wisconsin. When I was in office, my kids stayed and, and went to Madison schools. When we lived in Washington, when my oldest was little, he came home one day and asked for a Redskins jersey, and that was it. We were moving back home. <laughs> um, so I think, I think Mike's a, a rising star and somebody we can look forward to. I think there's a lot of guys in the Senate who may not necessarily be younger, but sort of cut a very pragmatic path. Rob Portman, who left, unfortunately, now uh, sort of a centrist senator from Ohio. Uh, I think a lot of John Thune, who's a senator from South Dakota, who probably is going to be McConnell's successor. Um, Bill Cassidy, who's a doctor from Louisiana, great practical guy. There, you know, the, the Senate is a little bit more level-headed than the House still is. That's always been the case, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I think the terms make a difference. Right. I mean, I, I was walking into uh, a pizza place in Washington. This has got to be 
last when the transportation stuff was going on. So was it a year ago in the spring? And here were five people going in to grab pizza together, and Kristen Sinema was one of them. She's out with the Republican folks, who's a independent senator from Arizona. Mm-hmm. So I think there's more in the Senate. The House is just armed camp, and. You know, I don't know if it's when I was there was the beginning of the Gingrich fights and it was much more harsh. It goes all the way back to Jim Wright in the 80s. And I feel sorry for the new speaker. I mean, it's the same thing that drove my classmate and old buddy John Boehner out. It's the same thing that drove Paul Ryan out. And now I just saw this morning that the hardcore says they're not going to support the spending package. And he needs Democratic votes to get this through now. Yeah. but Mike, you hear, Mike Johnson from Louisiana. You want to hear a great story from around the country about yes. one from Ohio? So last uh, election in 2022, Gavin Newsom in California gets 59% of the vote because California is so blue. But in Ohio, Mike DeWine gets 65% of the vote, which will tell you how red Ohio is these days. So in washes a new supermajority, and all the young guard comes in and says, you know what? We're going to purge all these old guys, these guys who've been around, the business guys. You know, that's not where we're at. We want to fight these social issues and everything else. And the week of Christmas last year... They hold a caucus meeting and vote all the old guys out and literally throw them and their staff out of the office on December 23rd. So the Republicans go, huh. So the old guys walk across the hall, find the Democratic minority leader and says, you know who we are. There's a lot of stuff we're not going to agree on. But you know you can work with us. And do you really want to work with this crowd of knuckleheads? And they said, okay, let's cut a deal. So the Speaker of the Ohio Assembly is a Republican elected with 45% of the Republican caucus and all of the Democratic caucus. Now, there's a great story for America on how things can turn, and that's what we need more of. I mean, I, you know, I'm a Republican for a reason, because of what I believe. I'm very skeptical of the government. I don't want the government involved in my life and my business, my bedroom, anything else in the world. I'm from the libertarian wing of the Republican Party. You know, the smaller the government, the happier I am. But... Um, we can reach across the aisle. I mean, I used to work all the time with moderate Republicans and blue dog Democrats when I was there. And in the in the middle is the oil. It's how things gets done. It's how you cut the deals to make it work. And by definition, sixty five percent of a win is a win. You know, getting a hundred percent of nothing. What the hell good does it do you? What'd you make of Tuesday, last Tuesday's election? Um, stronger than expected support for Democratic ideas and candidates. Republicans have not had a great success rates over the last few years in national or state elections. What's going on? Well, I think uh, Republicans have to figure out an intelligent answer on abortion. Uh, they've lost, you know, a lot of the middle of the country. They've lost suburban women. And, you know, I think Nikki Haley, for example, has tried to carve out a very reasonable path to say we don't want to ban it. We have to figure out some way to reasonably restrict it. Um, and I was a pro-choice Republican, but I never voted for federal funding for abortion. Um, and I think waiting, you know, uh, some kind of reasonable agreement where you say after 16 weeks you can't have without life of the mother, I think there's a middle ground to do it. But if we want to keep fighting that same fight over and over, you're going to see the same result over and over and over again. And they've got to figure out a, a more nuanced, balanced message. It won't, you know, when I was in office, I met with everybody, with exception of two groups. Right to life and narrow because you could not have a rational conversation with either side of them. And I still hold that position today. It's just they're both too, um, 
evangelical about their viewpoints, and it's not where most of the public is, which doesn't want abortion, doesn't want to talk about it, and keep it out of my face. Former Governor Scott Walker, after the results last Tuesday, said it's about money. Democrats spend more money. That's why they're winning, not messaging. Comment? Uh, you can win with less money. I mean, I beat a 32-year incumbent who had one-tenth of the money he had because it was about messaging and issues. Our guest, former Congressman Scott Klug. I wish I had more time, but we only have 15 more minutes. I haven't even gotten to Ukraine, Israel, some of the domestic stories. I, I had a conversation earlier in the show about students coming here on foreign visas to study at our educational institutions, in some cases are arrested for violence against Jewish students on their own campus, what should happen in that case? I want to ask you that question and a lot more in our remaining time with former Congressman Scott Klug after this on WTMJ Now. Talking to our guest, former Congressman Scott Klug, and, and the time goes so fast, there's a million things I want to ask you about. We were talking during the break, and I've already forgotten what we were talking about. You were going to tell me a story. So if you, t- if you take a look at... Um, uh, What's happened in newspapers yes. around the country? The attack on journalists. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, attacks on journalists. So um, there were a couple of reporters several years ago who took a look at what happened to voting patterns in communities where newspapers disappeared. But there's a lot of newspaper deserts out there where there's hardly anything left anymore. And when they did a long study, as Wisconsin voters will appreciate, when everything is nationalized, there's no focus on local politics anymore. And so what they discovered was ticket splitting dramatically. St- dropped in places in the country where there are no longer local newspapers and local reporting. So a woman in Palm Springs, who's the editor, again at paper, says, huh, she calls these three professors and said, I've got, I've got an experiment I want to do. And they said, what's that? What I want to do is for the next 30 days, take all the national news, all the letters to the editors, all the national opinion columns out of the paper. And what I want you to do is to interview my readers before and my readers afterwards. And they said, well, we'll do better than that. We'll track your readers, and then we're going to find another Gannett paper, Fullerton, California, and we're going to survey those folks. So they drop all the stuff from their opinion page. 30 days later, they go in, and what happened? Well, what happened was the partisanship levels dropped in Palm Springs because it was no longer a fight over that. They had more local coverage, more obituaries, more sports stuff, where the highways closed, all the stuff you want to see in a local newspaper. And in Fullerton, it keeps to go up. So then Gannett comes in. And Gannett says, all these local opinion page editors, eh, it's a waste of money. We can just run it all out of national columns in Washington. So they fire the opinion page editor. So then the editor at Palm Springs says, huh, let's see what the community thinks. So she starts a GoFundMe page. And the community was so impressed by what had happened, they actually raised enough money. And they're now in the third year of an opinion page editor paid for by the community, not paid for by Gannett. Wow. It gets better. Then about a year and a half after this happens, Gannett says, you know, all those opinion page editors we fired around the country that did local news, uh, that's really the only reason people keep reading is because of local stuff. So now Gannett has re-added all those editors that they killed. But So the problem with journalism, Steve, I think, is that we're so focused on national stuff, we can't get beyond it. And half the time when you're talking about Wisconsin politics, you're not talking about it through the Washington and the Trump and the Biden prism. We just can't focus on what's going on here. And so, you know, part of the problem with journalism is the economics make it so tough. In order to hold on to the people who are still reading, you have to hold on to the ones who are the most passionate. And frequently, they're the most passionate about politics, which takes you down one rabbit hole or the other. Take your pick. Often, industries, 
companies are saved by a brilliant idea. And maybe in journalism, maybe local papers, we haven't discovered what that brilliant idea is yet because the tradition of journalism is something I think we all respect, right? The power of, of, of the media to tell us those stories, local, statewide, national, international, to share those stories so that we can all understand our shared experience because we are connected in ways we never were connected before. So maybe it's just in search of what that next idea is. And, and for whatever reason, maybe it's because they have dwindling staffs, it's less time spent on thinking about the big picture stuff. Maybe we just haven't thought what that big idea is yet. But one of the reasons, one of the mission statements of the show is to understand there is middle ground, there is a potential there. My fear is, though, and I see this playing out, I told you this during the break, I see some of my Republican friends attacking journalists by name, attacking newspapers by name because of stories they don't like. And my fear that I've expressed over and over again, the alternative, no papers, no journalism, scares the hell out of me. And I think that should scare everybody. Well, I think, you know, people always, uh, you know, businesses come and go in the United States, right? Nobody cried in 1910 when candles disappeared and suddenly along came the electric lights. But in journalism, it's different, right? Because part of the essential ingredient of a democracy is you have to be informed. And you can only be informed by depending on media sources. It's the only way to go. I'll give your your listeners a website called www.allsides.com, www.allsides.com. It's a national organization that basically takes the position that all the media is biased, but let's be explicit about it. So they have a range of of sort of coding stuff from the far left to the far right. None of this is going to surprise you. MSNBC is on the far left. Fox and Sinclair is on the far right. The Wall Street Journal and the BBC get pretty good marks for being centrist. A little bit to the left is the Post. A little bit to the right is the Wall Street Journal. I'd encourage your readers to go on that. But what it should do is make you skeptical about what you're reading and checking things out. And I, and I think that's where we've got to get the press where they're, where they're comfortable with saying this. I mean, I understand what your your listeners are saying, and I get frustrated too. And I also get frustrated by the smugness of the media. The sort of let's say, well, we're you know we're doing it for all the right reasons. Horse apples. You're a business, and you got to make money. And if you think the newspaper business is bad, try to be in the cable news business today. The kerfuffle this year with Trump and his appearance on CNN, and the fact that they didn't keep him contained, and people were outraged. Half of the ratings of Wheel of Fortune that night when it aired. That'll put it all in perspective. So who you get now in so much, so many of these media outlets are just a concentration of people who are just in an echo chamber and can't listen to anything else. And I'm telling your listeners, they got to get out of that echo chamber and they've got to sample stuff. So you can't get consumed by one media channel, one show. You've got to shop around and figure out how to do it. So allsides.com, there's my tip of the morning. That's a good tip, and I've been to that site. Um, Real quick, I want to ask you about this before I let you go. So Israel, obviously the situation in Gaza, um, there is some really great reporting. I spent a lot of time last night watching some of those reports, including from a hospital, the basement of the hospital, which, as we suspected, a lot of people suspected was the the home of a a military compound and potentially the, the place where they held hostages. That story... Take it to America. We have campuses uh, up in arms, students protesting against other students. Uh, so a couple things. One, the, the situation in Israel, what do you think? And two, international students coming here, getting in physical alter- altercations with Jewish students. To me, that's that should be an immediate expulsion, at least after some conversation, and returning those students back home. Do, do you agree or disagree? 
Um, well, so first of all, on Israel, I, my concern about Israel, and I've been there a couple times, is that um, I don't know how that they're in now they get out. I mean, I just understand what the plan is. I mean, Gaza is if you take the Milwaukee lakefront and see the you know fiduciary buildings and all those tall towers, well, replicate that times 3,000, and that's all Gaza is, is high rises. So right. I, there's no place those people can go. And clearly, they can't go to Egypt. I mean, you risk destabilizing Egypt. So the answer is I'm not smart enough to figure out the solution to the problem. On the students, um, you know, here's an interesting thing all sides says is if you want to figure out where people are coming from on this, listen to the language. So if you describe them as uh, political refugees versus you describe them as uh, or asylum seekers versus lawbreakers, it'll sort of tell you where you come down on this. Um, I'm sort of a First Amendment guy. And I don't know that the first the principle of the American public is the right to say what you say. I'm not sure you want to start deporting folks because they disagree with unpopular opinions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But when it becomes violence and students are arrested for attacking other students, that changes the dynamic. Well, oh, I think if they're convicted in court, goodbye. Yeah. Your, your train leaves in 20 minutes. I appreciate the time. Let's let's do it again. There's a lot of happening in American politics, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot happening in this world that I'd love to get your perspective on. Hey, one more cheap plug because I sure. have to do it. www.lossmiddle.com, 14 episodes that started last September through. They're not talk radio. They're storytelling. So if you think of 60 Minutes or 2020, we've got one on the media, one on ticket splitting, uh, one on um, America's 71 million bewildered voters, and I will raise my hand because I remain one of them. I appreciate the time and uh, love the conversation. Former Congressman Scott Klug, have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, let's talk down the road. Thanks. Appreciate it, Steve.